0: Another podcast. This is Inside the Athlete's Mind. My name is David Strukel. I'm joined by Andrew White. He is the professor of psychology and the coordinator of the sport management program at Hiram College. Andrew, how are you? Doing all right. How are you, Dave? I'm doing okay. And the purpose of this podcast, as always, we try to shine a light on current issues in sport that affect the mind and how athletes think. And there have been some pretty big stories in the last couple weeks, or at least the last week, uh, involving sports, even though there's nothing happening that make the radar. Uh, I saw one, and let's take this with a grain of salt because it was posted on April 1st. April Fools, Uh, the Teron Liu, the former Cavaliers coach, uh, wanted to coach the Brooklyn Nets and reunite with Kyrie Irving. Now, Teron Liu is like the head assistant on the Clippers with a pretty good head coach and Doc Rivers. And you being a basketball coach, an assistant coach, my question to you, Andrew, is for that situation as a career move, do you leave a pretty good gig next to a great coach, to go to a team to be the head coach and manage a great player. Um, I don't know. How do you weigh the options there? Do you stay on a great team with a great coach or go to a team with a great player? What's the risk and reward there?
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's going to depend on the coach and where they are in their career. So someone like Tyron Lue, he's already been a head coach for a while. He's won a championship as a coach. He's coached great players before. So, well, and he's been a player, so he's been coached by phenomenal coaches. So he's had a lot of experience with strong coaches in the past. So it's always great to get another perspective, learn from another potential mentor, even though it's more like a peer mentor here. Um If he had never coached before, then I would say moving to the Nets to coach someone like Kyrie, and I mean, Kyrie, Durant, you name it, many, many stars, it's not just one. Um, That would be a big ask. And I would be worried, especially in the NBA, about the coach really not having a whole lot of authority in that situation if they hadn't already been established as a coach. If you look at some of the names that the Nets have been looking at, it's Ty Lue, um, Jason Kidd's name also came up, and he's currently an assistant with the Lakers. So Mm -hmm. he's working with Frank Vogel, another uh, less well-known but phenomenal coach. Uh, Even Mike Brown's name came up, former Cavs coach. Wow! So a lot of established coaches' names are coming up. Uh, So for them, I'd say I don't think there's any harm in – uh, going to play with or coach athletes who are just top of the game. They could get you a lot of wins. Uh, there's a lot more danger if you're uh, a rookie
0: head coach to the game there. You bring up a good point. I totally forgot that the Ty Lu played for the Lakers when Phil Jackson was the coach there. So, yeah, even as a player, he was under some pretty good head coaches. Yep. Great, great point. Speaking of, I guess, making the transition of Phil Jackson or mentioning Phil Jackson, of course, ESPN is running the series The Last Dance about Michael Jackson and their last title run. And it was in the one of the first couple episodes when Michael Jordan joined the league in the Chicago Bulls. Um, He was. He walked into a party, and this is his rookie year, walked into like a post game party. And the way he described it was, quote, I walk in practically the whole team is in there. It was things like I had never seen in my life as a young kid. You got your lines over there, lines of Coke. You got your weed smokers over here. You got your women over there. Jordan said he told the team it wasn't going to stick around. He, quote, first thing I said, look, man, I'm out because all I could think about is, if they come raid this place right now, I am just as guilty as everyone else in this room, Jordan said. And that that's tough, I got to think, as a guy who had aspirations of playing in the NBA. And, of course, Jordan, one of the greatest, to walk into a postgame party with his Chicago Bulls teammates to see all this going on. And, you know, I can't even imagine the thoughts going through his mind of, like, is this what it's like to make the NBA? And will I be able to stay in this league? And, you know... Talk about the negative influences that are there for him and how tough it is to go against the grain.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so team norms are huge, and you could set norms for what Jordan walked into there in the parties, uh, or you could have norms that are a lot more productive to performing at the top of your game, Uh, being on time, practicing, taking care of your body uh, on the court and off the court. So uh, team norms really set the stage for how the entire team is going to keep themselves engaged in the sport and they're going to weigh differently on who you are. So I'd be curious to know when this party, this ex- exact example actually happened. Was it early in Jordan's year rookie year? Cause I think this was during his rookie year mm-hmm. um, or just later on. And it doesn't necessarily matter for someone like Jordan. I mean, he, came in and he was already a force mm-hmm. so he could almost set norms on his own so it's not gonna I wouldn't think he would feel a whole lot of pressure coming in and yep I'm out I mean no way I'm not gonna ruin what I have going for me because the choices you all are making if this were someone like Tai Lu for example, when he was a player, I could see that being a bigger challenge for him because he was more of a role player. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do I fit in with this team Might have his mind? I'm, I wouldn't think that crossed Jordan's mind too often.
0: So being that you work with the women's basketball team at Hiram College, talk about what are some of the kinds of team-building things that you and the players do once you bring freshmen onto the squad. How do you immediately get them into the team concept, what kind of, what are some team building things that you do?
1: Yeah. And so this example of the party that Michael Jordan came into is a good example of different types of, uh, cohesion that you try to build with a team. And we think about that too, on the women's basketball team and any team here at And we've got the social side of cohesion, just getting along with one another, liking one another, uh, spending time with one another. But then there's the task cohesion side of it too. You have to be able to work together well on the court to win games. And uh, so the Jordan parties—that's you know—that's going to be social cohesion. Are we hanging out together? Are we having fun together? You don't always have to hang out together and have a great time together off the court in order to be successful. Best example of that would be Shaq and Kobe. They were at each other's throats socially, but they were able to get the job done on the court. Most of the time, what I see, at least, yeah, most of what I've seen with higher athletics is that social cohesion is not an issue. Uh, teams tend to get along. Uh, the student athletes are around each other a lot. They learn a little bit about each other, and they're able to form some bonds there. Rarely are you going to have a team of 15 or 30 or more where everyone likes everyone. You just have a lot of personalities. Not everyone fits. But where we need to work more consistently is on that task cohesion side. How do we make sure we're all on the same page? How can we make sure I can trust that my teammates have my back and that they're going to hold up their responsibilities so that we get get the job done? Uh, And that's a challenge. For sure. Uh, there's a lot of different things that you can do, and part of it is uh, as simple as trying to reverse roles a little bit and put people out of their comfort zone to learn a little bit about what the other responsibilities are on the team. And Then once you learn a little bit more about what I don't know, the center is trying to do as a guard, now you can understand the challenges that they go through in accomplishing their goals and uh, be a little more understanding in the process.
0: Great point. This is Inside the Athlete's Mind. My guest is Andrew White. I am David Struckel. And, you know, the whole I love this uh, The Last Dance thing and just had me thinking, you know, what are some past athletes or stories do you wish got the same kind of documentary treatment? I can think of two athletes that immediately come to mind. Babe Ruth, I would love to see a 10-part series on the activities on the field and off with him. Probably Will Chamberlain would be a past athlete that is crying for a 10-part series um, in many ways. Any particular athletes in your mind that come to a – that you would think would be an entertaining documentary? Oh, man. So many. <laughs> um, well, uh, to stick to basketball, there's already been quite a bit on Pete Maravich, but I'd love to Ooh. learn to bowl,
1: oh my a little bit gosh. more about Pistol Pete. Um, let's see if we went into other sports, maybe Joe Lewis. Yes. Uh, Jackie Robinson. Mm. So some of the, I'm going to figure it's a little, little bit historical, but not going back too far. Uh, obviously Muhammad Ali would be a great option there as well.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. With, uh, you mentioned Pistol Pete. There's a guy who averaged, what, 44 points a game in college without a three-point line. <laughs> Just insane. Um, moving on to another issue, the NFL draft was last Thursday, a virtual draft, and many teams, like my beloved Miami Dolphins, are hoping they hit a big on their first-round selections, especially Tua Tagovailoa. I had to put that phonetically on my notes, otherwise I was going to botch that. And Miami hasn't had, like, a great starting quarterback since Dan Marino retired way back when. I think they've had like 25. I, I lost count how many quarterbacks. And much like Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, that first round pick, and especially when you're talking about a quarterback, comes into the league with such big expectations. And we know Baker Mayfield has, has a chip. He likes to play with confidence. He has swagger. And you're going to get a lot of criticism and talk about the level of thick skin, the, I I guess the mindset you have to have being a quarterback or coming into a situation where, where you're expected to be the savior, where you're expected to resurrect a franchise and bring them back to prominence. It's, it's tremendous expectations.
1: Yeah. And his perspective on it's going to matter a lot. So if he focuses on that pressure, then that, you know, that can be problematic. Uh, there's certainly a lot of pressure. Uh, team hasn't been great historically, uh, recent history, I should say. Uh, and if you're supposed to be that savior and things aren't going well, you might start pressing, and then that's when you start not performing too well. Uh, and then that's when careers start to be questioned. At the same time, you could look at it as an opportunity. Uh, so there maybe there's nothing to lose here the team hasn't been good trust yourself that you are skilled maybe we can make a few steps in one year and then make another few steps the year after that it's not going to turn around instantly most of the time uh and he's in an interesting situation coming off of an injury as well mm-hmm. so there's just a lot into that situation and you no know, perspective is going to matter
0: know, yeah, and to an extent, obviously, fan base plays a large part. In Baker Mayfield's first year, he rode the bench while Tyrod Taylor started. It wasn't until, I don't know what game it was, against the Ravens, I think, where the Browns were struggling, Tyrod Taylor was struggling, and the fan base was just calling for Baker Mayfield. He comes and takes the team down the field, and obviously that kind of sealed his case to be the starter. Just so much pressure internally inside the team and outside from a fan base that it's hard to manage in terms of how do we answer to the fans? I think you kind of have to, as a coach, especially close that kind of stuff off and just say, hey, we got to do what's best for the team. Just so much going on when you bring on someone with that kind of big expectation.
1: Oh, for sure. And when we're talking about professional sports, too, I mean, yes, the coach can say that, that we got to do what's best for the team, but the coach doesn't have the final authority and the general manager, the owners, they are responsible for making all of those big decisions. And the fans have a huge say in that fans can stop coming to games. Fans can stop buying things, whether at games or uh, just buying merchandise. If things aren't going well on the bottom line side, the owner and managers can make decisions about who's going to be coaching in order to change player personnel as well. So there, it's just a interesting perspective when we're looking at it, that side. You have a little bit less of that with college sports, particularly Division three college sports, where there's less uh, intense fan base and that side uh, of the bottom line.
0: Yeah, and maybe, I guess, you know, you're not – you're not looking for draft picks in college and that kind of thing. Maybe to it's a slight analogy. What about when you graduate someone who's carried the scoring load for the team and now you're looking to a sophomore or junior to come up the following year and you're going to say, hey, so-and-so, we really need you to step up the game this year. We're going to count on you to carry the load. If, if you could explain or talk about how do you have that kind of conversation with the player to say, Hey, we need you to be the star this year. How how do you have that conversation?
1: Um, Directness and honesty is typically the best policy. So just being open about, hey, you know, your role is set to increase this year. Uh, It's up to you whether you put in the work to actually fulfill that role or Mm -hmm. if we've got to look elsewhere and have it filled by multiple people. Mm -hmm. Uh, At at some level, you have to trust that this is a college student-athlete. They are determined, they are dedicated to putting in the work to uh, have that opportunity to succeed.
0: All right, great. Andrew, anything else before we shut it down for this podcast? No, I don't think so. All right, awesome. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of Inside the Athlete's Mind. My name is David Strukle. He is Andrew White. And we'll see you again in a couple weeks. And hopefully, uh, the outlook is a little bit better for getting out of my basement. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Take care, Andrew.